and also um, see what we need as individuals, but very much as a team and how they can use curiosity. So just with the um, agreements for today, it's very nice, the little boy just peeping over the table, it's very much like bring your curiosity to the session. Um, please, if you want to have your cameras on, there are going to be some breakout groups. It's really nice to connect with one another. Uh, of course, you've got the right to pass if you don't want to have your camera on, but it's always nice to know the people you're talking to. Uh, try and be as fully present as possible. You might have other distractions going on around you. Uh, the best way I find with this particular topic is to actually to be absorbed in all the tools and the tricks so you know what it's like to be a participant and then you know what it's like to be a coach when you have to give it to your teams. And most important, try and have some fun. It's a Saturday, it's your time, so let's get started. All right, so the topics I'm gonna dig into, the first one, I wanna give you some tools. So it's like, how do I do the work? So I wanna give you some tools and some frameworks. I also want you um, to think about how you're showing up to your team and your organization and how are you being present and resourceful. And the other aspect is let's dig into what do you see and what do you believe right now and maybe we can do a shift by the end of the workshop and looking at other ideas of how you can use curiosity. So please grab your curiosity glasses and put them on for this session and look at things through a different lens. And the first sort of tool, uh, which is one of my favorite, is the secret self. Hey, Suzanne, and, I'm yep. sorry to interrupt you. Can you unshare and then share again? It looks like we're stuck and we're not seeing you flipping, but I think you're probably flipping slides. We're still oh, you can't see the slide? We're still on the first slide. Okay, there we go. Now we see the um, current slide. You're good. Oh, okay. All right, I'll go back. Is that okay for everybody? Yep, we're good now. All right, so if we think of that secret self, if you think of um, there's different, there's multifacets of ourselves. So if you think of ourselves as a crystal or a diamond, each of those facets will come out in a different situation. And sometimes we're very much aware of what's happening in the world around us and sometimes we're not. So this might crop up that you're at work and someone goes, oh, I think you've been fabulous the way you've trained this group. And you go, oh, I didn't recognize that. I didn't know that was you know, part that was coming up for me. And with all those facets of yourself, they, they, they're in there for service. So how can we be safe enough to fully bring all those sub-personalities into the workplace. And I just want to go through a couple of examples. And this is one of my friends. Um, so his secret self is in road rage. So when he's in the car and someone cots him off, he gets very heated. And, you know, you might have a look at him and you might go that he's aggressive. But where that sort of personality, that secret self is coming from, is if he has the kids in the car, then he's there, that self comes out in a protective mode. So that's sort of one example of that secret self. The, the next sort of example is, you know, if I play Lego with my kids and there's that sort of the playful creative side might come out of me. And then if I bring that side into work, then when I'm solving problems, I might be more creative in, that, in the workplace if I bring that self to work. Um, 
I've sort of used this particular secret self when I have new teams because you want to get the team to gel and show different sides of them. And also I've done it, um, you know, icebreakers or beginning of trainings. But one thing I wanted to do is for us to explore our own secret self. So what you're going to do in the breakout is you're going to have a think about in your own self, who is another self that I'm not bringing into work? So be curious about that. And when does that show up? And what might become available to you if you did bring that into work? So I just wanted to leave you with two more examples. And one is when I did this with my team recently, um, one of the guys, Chris, is a marathon runner. So for him, when he runs a marathon, he's very much looking towards the end goal. But he's very, um, very focused on setting a good pace. So that sustainable pace that he's always going to get to the finish line. So in the team that he's in, bringing that pace setting and that sustainable pace is something he brings to the team every day. Um, another guy, Jeff, I work with, he comes from a family of, there's um, five um, girls in his family and he's the only boy. And what he learned from his family structure was that he was incredibly patient because he had to be with five sisters. So what he brings to his team is incredible patience in giving space for everybody to talk. So I just want to just sort of set the scene. Um, but what we want you to do now is Cherie's going to put you into small breakout groups. And it's really to have time to reflect on your secret self. Who is that? And how could that become available or serve if you're going to bring that into the workplace? So we're going to do this for about five minutes. And please share with your group and reflect. Thanks, Cherie. Okay, everyone should see receive an invitation to join the breakout room and then that will bring you in. Suzanne, it's up to you if you accept or you can stay out here that way if um, you need anything. Okay. I might go join in it. Thank you. Great. Thank you, everybody. So let's, does a couple of people just want to share? It's usually quite an easy exercise, but what was it like for you? So who wants to share or share either their secret self? What came up? Okay, may I start? This is Tunguria here. Yep. Hi. Okay. I was with Maris and Perry, and it was really good to hear the thought that curiosity means invisibly present over there, fully present with mind, as well as attentive and active listening. So those are good things to learn from folks. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. What about another group? Who would like to share from another group? Um, I don't mind going. Um, essentially, we had very similar sub... Um, secret self? Um, yes, yeah, secret self. Sorry, secret mm -hmm. self. Um, yeah. But we sort of felt that we, we were always so cautious in bringing mm -hmm. that self out, especially mm -hmm. when we're working internationally. 
and you're meeting different cultures, different people, and yeah. that for the most part, we're playing safe uh, until we get to know people better before we bring that secret self out. Yeah, yeah. And I think you really touched on, you know, the first big aspect is for us to be aware when that self is coming out and, you know, we can make a choice. Do we bring that out and for what reason? How is it serving us? So I think that's a great one to be aware. Do we want to just hear from one more person who would like to share? One other group? Go ahead, Jade. You got this. <laughs> Jade? God, gosh. So um, it, it, it seems that, that I'm the spokesperson for our group. Um, I, I, I shared a story, if I, I may give an example from, from my side. So I just mentioned that I've, I've kind of always hidden my creativity to a certain extent and about two years ago I decided to to step out of my comfort zone and break that barrier and just enroll in a, a user experience user interface web and mobile app um, course specialization and that's that's definitely broken some barriers for me whereby now since I've joined a new new company and um, having to agile being being an agile coach and having to um, roll out some virtual training for an agile transformation in the organization, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with a colleague to obviously compile some training material whereby I've had the opportunity to to bring out some of my creativity in in the training material. So it's it's been a great breakthrough for me personally and what we mentioned in the group is that yeah collectively it's it's just great to kind of assess first um further to what what uh, another lady just just mentioned and um it's it's just good to to break through some barriers as well mm -hmm. okay wonderful thank you for sharing um so i'm just going to go back to the slide deck um so for me i i love the secret self i think it's it's a great thing to do with teams um icebreaker or just reflect yourself you know as we said so um please give it a go and, and let me know how you how you get on with it um the second tool which i love is a paper constellation and some of you might have done constellations before in a physical sense you might have done it around a room where you go and stand in a place and you ask different questions um, i love the paper constellation one you can do it virtual which is which is where we're living at the moment and I just wanted to take you through it, but just maybe raise your hands if you've done paper constellation before. And Cherie, you might have to. No, not many. Okay, wonderful. While they're okay. raising their hands, Suzanne, um, thanks for doing the um, presentation. And it's picking up your background one and displaying it, not the other one. So just change. There should be a spot where you can change which one shows, which screen shows. Oh. We're seeing presenter view, not um, not. Let me just see. The other one, maybe it's display settings. Um, yep. So, which one do you see now? Do you see the paper constellation? Yeah. Did you hit um, big model uh display? Yep. We see your full PowerPoint now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Um, so what we're going to do, and I, I want us all to do this together. So you're going to need a piece of paper and a pen, um, and we're going to give this a go because it's only by doing it that you really absorb what the 
what the tool's about. So if we have a look at the, the circle with the current, so on the left-hand side, that circle present, represents a relationship system. And um, what you have to do is you have to think of a relationship or a valued system that you care about. So you might want to pick your workplace, you might want to pick home, doesn't really matter, but think of one uh, relationship. And I'm going to talk you through the one here and then we're going to do it together. So in this particular one, you've got uh, a legend, which is on the right-hand side, and you've got a triangle for, for, for men, circle for females, and you've got a square for a thing or an event. Now, you can also just use any symbol for female or male. I like to differentiate them because it just gives you extra data. But, of course, you can, you can modify it if you want. But what we're going to do, so on the, within that circle, you can see a triangle with a K. And so this one was done with Quasi. Okay. And then what you do is you put yourself somewhere in the circle. So it could be in the middle, could be on the edge, wherever you think that is. And then you draw in the relationships with the other people. So in this particular situation, you've got a circle um, and two other triangles. So there's one female and two other men that Quasi has actually got a very strong relationship with. So that's the double line of strong. Um, and those three people also have a sort of average relationship to a thing. And in this particular situation, it's um, some sort of business adventure that they're trying to do. And you can see that outside the circle, there's another box, which is another thing. But in this particular situation, it's tenuous. So he hasn't really got um, a good relationship with that. You could also have a strong relationship with someone, but you could be in conflict, which would be the two diagonal lines. So what I want you to think about is pick a situation at work and it might be to people in your team, it might be your line manager, it might be different colleagues and you might want to represent them as the triangles and circles and think about what sort of relationship do you have with them now and you could either have that circle or triangle being close to you or it could be further away in the circle. So also the space in where you put them in the circle also depicts something. Uh, any questions on that? Because we're going to have a go at doing your current state. Does that seem okay? Can I, yeah. can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah, sorry. Is, is, it, is, it, called, is it also known as an eco map, if that's okay for me to say? Um, this is different than the eco map. Yeah, okay, sorry, I just wondered. Thank you. Yeah, so the, the main thing about a constellation is it's like, let's have a look at the here and now. How are you with the relationships that you care about in, say, the workplace? And that's your circle of sphere. But you might have also people which are outside that circle. Well, what's the current landscape? So when I did this particular example, with another colleague, she didn't have a very good relationship with her line manager. But when she actually mm -hmm. put in play the other people she was working with, she could see that actually the other three guys had a very strong relationship with her line manager and she had a very weak relationship with all of them. And so only by stepping back can you actually see, okay, this is what is happening in my relationship with systems. So um, does everybody want to have a go? So on your piece of paper, Draw a circle 
and put yourself somewhere in that circle. And we're just going to take a minute just to think about who are the people in that valued relationship and what sort of relationship is it? And are any of those relationships in conflict? And are any of those male, female or thing or event outside the circle? And for those people that might have already finished their current circle, I just want you to take a, almost like a step back and think about what am I learning from the visual diagram and maybe almost thinking about what needs to change before we get to the future. So what am I learning and what needs to change? All right. So, and you'll have a bit more time because we are going to do a breakout as well because I want you to share your current and future state. Um, if we go then to the future state, again, what do we want it to be like? What sort of relationships do we want to have with those people? And with all these tools, it's very much, um, you know, doing that visual state again, but also thinking about one or two small steps of getting into action on some of the key relationships that you want to shift. So what we're going to do is we're going to put you into a, a breakout groups again. Uh, you're going to have seven minutes. You'll have time to create what your future state is. And then what I want you to do is share among your group, just give a little bit of an example, like one minute each. What was your current? What was your future? And what's at least one action that you want to move forward on to shift? Is that okay with everybody? Yep. Yeah. So, Cherie, if you want to put them back into. Yep. You will get an invitation to join a breakout room. And if for whatever reason you may not want to go into the breakout room, just don't accept the invitation and you'll stay in the main room. And so mm -hmm. you're good to go. And this one's seven minutes, right? Yeah, seven minutes. 37. All right, so I might go and
Hello, welcome back. Everybody's back in? Yep. Right. So maybe just show of thumbs. Was that an easy exercise, middle, hard? It was it easy for people, middle? I know it was a little bit rushed. Yeah. So some of them have done it before. Yeah. So I just wanted to show, yeah, because we've sort of condensed it into the time slot. Sometimes you need a little bit more time. But um, it's a great tool to use one-on-one. -on -one. So if you're working with a Scrum Master, a product owner, it's a wonderful thing to go, what does your current state look like with the team or with your stakeholders, especially with POs, and what's the future look like? You know, having that, and it's really nice because it's very visual. So um, I love doing it one-on-ones product owners, scrum masters, especially people shifting from maybe from a project manager role into a scrum master and what does that relationship look like? Maybe it's different or not. Um, but also I've used it with teams. So um, how I've used it with teams, if you've got the psychological safety in the room, you can do it in a, in a retrospective and you can put up the current and future up around because you haven't got people's names. So if you've got a safe space, you can share it all. What I tend to do is um, if, if, if the safe space is still building within the team, I get everybody to do their current state and they keep their current state to themselves. But I get them to do their future state of what that looks like and they stick their future state up on the wall. So everybody as a gallery walk can see what the future state is. But say if there's only one female on the team, then I would use a different symbol for a person because then it makes it a little bit obvious who that person is. But you can sort of see sometimes where POs sit, where, stake, where stakeholders are maybe sitting, they might be outside the circle, not in the circle. So just visually as a team, it might be, and what's coming up, what shows up for the team? So it's really nice to get into action on some of these things. So a lot of these tools, I love them because it gets people into action, you know, because some people feel stuck in a situation. Visually, when they see what they're currently in and where they want to move to, you can get them into action of what's that small, smallest step you can do to get you closer to that future state. So again, hopefully you all have a go using it either with yourself or with your team. Um, let me just try and share Again, and we'll see. All right. All right. Do you see the systems widen your lens, Cherie? Yep, great. Yep. All right. So now I want to take a huge step into systems. Um, and what I loved about when I went into this topic is I was not fully aware of all the systems I carry with me when I come into the office or in virtual sense. So we're very social creatures. We've got our family, communities, our team, maybe community of practice, but all these different systems we belong to sort of shape us to who we are. And I love Barry Oshry, if you've read any of his books, but he talks a lot about um, people can be very blind to what they're bringing in, what's, what's conscious to them. When, they, when they're coming into play, especially in teams. And, you know, are you aware of all the different systems you currently belong to? But also, if you're working with a team, all the teams that they belong to, all those, all those different sort of systems they're belonging to. And the little picture I, I tried to draw was trying to illustrate that um, it was really interesting. I was the agile coach for this particular team and there was a conflict. The scrum master came up to me and said, there's a conflict between the tester and the developer and the team. 
and he took it as it's a personal conflict. Can you go in and fix it? That was the that was the the remit. And I had a look at this, and it's it's good to sometimes take a huge step back and think about the issue was on the test strategy, but the the tester in the team was the voice of the community of practice she belonged to, and the developer was the voice of the community of practice the developer was in. So if you look at it as just conflict between two people, it wasn't. They were the voices of something much bigger. So sometimes you have to take a wider lens of what are the forces at play here and what are the patterns that you can see maybe occurring um, before you go in and try and thinking that you have to fix two people when it's such a wider issue. So it's good just to be aware of, for me, it's a bit like a dance and there's been quite a few different articles written on um, teams and people. It's like everybody's on the dance floor and the music has a different tempo. And the thing is, if you're an agile coach, if you're a coach, you are in the system. You're in there with your teams. You're in the system. But at the same point, you have to almost take a huge wide glance, almost like you're on the balcony, looking down at everybody dancing and what are the patterns that are occurring and how can you shift things by maybe changing up the music or, or teaching them a new step? So it's almost like before jumping in, maybe to think that you have to go and fix something, take a wider lens of actually what's being in play. And the reason why I like to start there is when I then go back into uh, Torbit's action logic, it's a lovely segue. And I don't know if anybody's come across this, but this is my latest sort of systems sort of tool that I love. And with Torbett, he looked at um, adult maturity model and he looked at action logic. So that's the frame in which where do I make decisions and where are teams making their decisions? So it's not about how mature am I. Um, it's a very practical tool, but it will help you to become curious with yourself and with your team of how decisions are being made. And we're gonna go through those different levels. So um, also it's not a hierarchy. So it's not saying that one level is better than another level, but if you look at it, it can be a systemic hierarchy in that, say if you're the strategist, which is the green line, if you're at strategist level, all the ones beneath you are an offer to you. So it means that you can deep dig into the individualist, the achiever, the expert, the diplomat, opportunist. They're all on offer to you. But if you're at opportunist, there is nowhere to go. You've only got that one where you decide stuff. So I'm going to give you a little bit more flavor, but that's sort of how it works. Um, and alchemist, there's only a very few percentage, I think it's two percentage of the world is at alchemist level. And you wouldn't want a team fully of alchemists because you wouldn't get things done. These are people that shift the world upside down, like um, Nelson Mandela would the be alchemist. The slide didn't change on this one. If you want to click, I'm not sure why it's not keeping up. But Oh, it didn't slide? It's yeah. the... No, it, we're still on systems lens. So oh, sorry. Very strange that mine's... That there one? Do you see yeah. it now? Yep, that's where oh. I figured we were. So, sorry, guys. Okay, um, so I'm going to go through each each of those levels, and then you can get a little bit of a better idea. So, if you are at opportunist, uh, you're seeking where is the next opportunity? 
this is usually where salespeople reside when they're making decisions. It's very much a survival element. It's like, where's the next animal to hunt down? And you can definitely use this level, but if you're run from it, it means you're very limited. So if you are thinking of it like, how do I get more coaching hours? You might be going to conferences, maybe giving away your business cards. It might be more self-centric driven, trying to think about me. How do I make myself present or get more business? So that's at that level. If we now look at the, the maroon, the sort of red level, the diplomat, the focus is on approval. So for people and teams that work in this, they just want to belong. Um, they could be imitating behaviors usually of another senior line manager or someone who is a bigger personality within the team and they avoid conflict at all cost. So it's all about belonging. So that's where their drival force is coming from. And I hope when I go through these levels, you might be thinking, oh yeah, my team shows that or I sometimes step into that. So be, be curious with your glasses as well. If we look at the expert, the yellow, they, they concentrate on mastering their discipline. So if you have a problem, I know how to fix it. You know, so they accomplish tasks as efficiently as possible because they do the things right. You know, they're working with the right methodology. So that's what the expert level is. And the expert can be in conflict a lot with the achiever, the next level, because the achiever is very goal-orientated. So if you're making decisions in the achiever level, it's about how do we get there, they're outcome-driven, um, how do we get there as fast as possible, and achievers lose patience with uh, experts because the achiever wants to get it done as fast as possible and the expert wants to do it the right way. So you can see that those two, if they're in those two levels, can, can get into conflict. Um, individualist, this is a really interesting one because there's a huge shift here of like, they can see the patterns playing out within teams and organizations, but they don't know how to shift a room. So they are driven by being aware of what's happening around them, but they don't know how to make transformational shifts. Whereas a strategist, the green level, can do both. So, and there's, there's not as many people on this level, but they can see what's going on around them and they know how to shift a room. So that's the, the high level. The alchemist, I touched on a little bit earlier, um, and there was a recent study done. So out of about 36 alchemists in the world, they worked out that 23 were actually assassinated. And as I said, um, Nelson Mandela um, would be a, an example of an alchemist. And they also did a bit of research that usually two things happened that shaped them to be alchemists. And that was that they had a lot of responsibility at a very young age, or they had a near-death experience, or they might have had both. But these are people that turn the world upside down with their visionary and their ideas. And so they're all the different levels. So what I thought would be interesting is if we work on an example just to get you familiar with maybe how you are showing up at work and which level you're in, but how you are as a team. Did that change, Cherie? Did that move the slide? No, no it didn't. Oh. I don't know why it's doing that today. There you go. It showed it that last second. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. So let's take, let's take a team 
and this will be our last breakout for tonight, let's take a team and say your team is dominant in diplomat, which means they all want to belong, they want to obey all the norms, they really rock the boat, they avoid conflict at any cost, they seem to accept what you know comes from higher up, um, and they really don't like to lose face. So that's a driving force, right? So the questions I want you to think about when you're in your group, and if you want to take a quick picture of this, you can, but I want you to think about what would you see or hear to know that that team is dominant and diplomat? So maybe what would you see in a ceremony? How would they show up? You know, what would they display? Um, but more so taking that leap of, and what are the limitations of a team just being in diplomat? And if you go one step further, how would you, if you are a coach or a scrum master or maybe you're a PO, how would you shift that team or get them to maybe think differently? So really just to have explore, be curious with the people in your, your group and see what comes up. Okay, before we jump into breakout rooms, Jade has a question. Yep, Jade. Hi, thanks very much. Um, actually, I raised my hand when you were on the previous slide in oh, terms yeah. of Torbett. Um, so yeah. there's just one, one point I'd like to make or ask whether you also experienced something similar in terms of um, speaking to, to various teams or perhaps this came up for you as well um i just found that for myself um firstly i am i'm not that familiar although i have come across this and and i've, I've kind of placed myself somewhere on on the scale so what's come up for me is that should you be under under pressure or in a stress situation you tend to default back to to the one below of the one mm -hmm. that you think you are in at the moment, um, that level. Do you do you find the same on your side? As in, for example, hypothetically, um, if you think you're in in the achiever level, mm -hmm. and should should you come across a situation that that challenges you, for example, and you're not in, on on top of your game you tend to step back into expert because that's, that's your comfortable default. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and also like one, it's good to know that, you know, one level is not better than another level. Um, and that within a day you might be jumping across three or four different levels, which is fine. It's just really interesting. Right. The, cu the curious part is like being aware of, Oh, and which level, as you just said, which level have I jumped into and why, and how does it serve me? Um, but very much for like if you're coaching a team and they're doing that or if they're, you know, the example, say, with a diplomat, if they can only work in diplomat level, that means they, they can only do diplomat, say, an opportunist. Um, what's the limitations? How are you going to explore and get them out of the diplomat? So there, there are limitations of some of these levels, but it's completely fine to be an achiever. And then when you're in a situation to go to expert, that's 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 fine. That's you know, all, all the levels serve a purpose. Perfect. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's okay. All right. So we're going to have five-minute uh, breakout. So first thing, think about with your curiosity glasses on, what would you see and hear if a team was in dominant and diplomat? 
think about limitations and how could you shift that team? So I'll see you back in five minutes. Okay. Hey, Suzanne, before you jump into a room, if you leave mm -hmm. your screen where it's at right now, towards the top you sh of your actual presenter screen, you should yeah. show taskbar and display settings. Can you click on that? Display settings? Just display settings, yep. And swap presenter wow. view and slide mode or yep. that one? Mm -hmm. Is that better? Yes, now we see the screen, yep. Oh, okay. All right, great. Perfect. All right, I'll go join. Everyone's on the way, another five seconds or so, and we'll get back started. This one was good. We have a deep conversation. Awesome. Okay, welcome back. You're back? Yep. Um, so who would like to share? Uh, what would they see or hear? if a team was in dominant and diplomat? Who wants to share from their group? Nick, you want to go? I guess I was volunteer, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what we would observe, what we were saying, um, was just a lot of indecision uh, lack of uh, movement or, or ideas coming out of the team and maybe being more influenced fr from either stakeholders or the highest paid person in the room or the organization kind of waiting to be told what to do. And, and their word is, you know, gospel, so to speak. And they would, they would just latch on to those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the constant thinking is, well, what would – Sherry or Suzanne think if we came up with this idea versus really, you know, solidifying it themselves. I think that was. Yeah, that's great. To. Let me know if I missed anything, guys. Great. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Yep. What about another team wants to share? What are the limitations of just being a diplomat? I know you shared some, Nick. Anybody else? We did say something similar. Groupthink, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Groupthink. And um, um, obviously, um, he also said something about the people not challenging people when they say something and just going with the flow. Mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. would be a very good um, way to, to know that they are in that state. Yep. Yep. Great. Thank you. And what about another team sharing, you know, if you're the coach, how can you shift the team? What can you do? Any suggestions, ideas? In our group, we talked about, we kind of struck question one and question three because we talked about, okay, what is the assumption about mm -hmm. the, the diplomacy of that team? And number three is, does the team want to shift? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of 
what are, what are the assumptions without knowing the assumptions and the context and the why and the involvement it's kind of up up in the air right yeah yeah and it's great because you're wearing your curiosity glasses right of like well do they want to shift so exactly so let me let me just go to um can you see the slide okay but how about so, the fact that they have to shift not yet Um, uh, just, just to add over there that in that case, like what my point of view is that leader need to be always a step ahead so that he can show the mirror to them. That is where you stand and try to pull them on the next step. So that is how mm -hmm. I try to do the things. Yeah. yeah. Just to add to top of that, I think we discussed that uh, if everybody is a diplomat, we may have a problem of indecision and the team do need to make a decision to move forward. So, then the coach need to play the role of a strategist and the achiever to find out who are the expert in the group and have a healthy conflict so we yep. can make a decision and move forward. That's how we control it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're, they're all good questions. And I think, you know, what I wanted to do is take the leap of like, if you had one person in Diplomat, which, Cherie, do you see the next slide? Curiosity, shift uh, yourself. No, they're not sharing at all yet. Oh, it's not sharing. Um, right, let me go back to that. Okay. Right, do you see it now? Yep, just change your display settings so we see the other side and then you're good. Oh, okay. All right. Here we go. There you go. This one? Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So with this particular one, um, what I want you to think about is the curiosity. So uh, a diplomat, so I'm going to think of the individual and then we're going to look at the team. If an individual is in diplomat, sometimes with agreeing to what's going on in the room, right, they're stuffing away or they're disregarding their feelings or their thoughts. So it's good just to be aware if that's occurring in a team, they're stuffing it away, um, but it might come out later. So maybe they're in a meeting, everybody's agreed, but outside the meeting, then stuff comes up, right? Because they haven't dealt with it in the meeting. So you might see that pattern occurring. Uh, for me, if I'm working with a diplomat, it can be a mask for fear, hurt, anger. But what I try and do is get them to be, uh, this came up in our session, to be self-aware. So how do you get them to be self-aware of what's happening? It's just they could do like daily check-ins of like, what emotion, what am I feeling when I'm in the meeting? So they still might not change at that particular stage, but how are they, what feelings are coming up? Are they getting frustrated? Are they angry or, you know, what's actually happening? And for them to start to name the emotion is to get them to be starting to get that self-awareness. And once they've got the self-awareness, then there can be a choice. Do they, using that emotion, be able to present another voice in the room um, or not? But at least then they're doing it with their conscious thoughts rather than sweeping with what they're currently doing, which they're just being in the norm, agreeing, and they're shoving it all to one side. Is that helpful? So that's something like as a coach, just something that you can be aware of with this particular situation with diplomats. Any, any questions around that?
that okay? All right. Um, uh, Susan, just want sure. to check quickly that you are saying do daily check-ins, right? So when we do daily check-ins, don't you feel sometimes it may bounce back that we are just oh. trying to... It's not, it's not for you as the coach to do daily check-ins. It's for the person when they're in the meeting for them to do check-ins with themselves. It's right. for each person um, before the meeting, you know, what's going on for them in the meeting, what's going on for them, and maybe after the meeting, what's going on. Because it's only when they're self-aware of their own emotions can they sort of think about, okay, this is how I'm, I'm being. But... With that emotion, which is extra information, data to me, how do I want to be going into that? Understood. It's about self-checking, basically. Yep. Yep. Self-checking. Great. 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 Um, I wanted to just also just leave um, on team curiosity. And I, I must say the biggest buzzword I came across was high-performing teams. It's everywhere. It's in every book. All best-selling books. It's almost like you need it in the first chapter. And um, so I was talking to a couple people and it was really interesting because it's become a little bit like um, a landing pad. We have to get to be high-performing teams. It's a place of arrival. It's almost a little bit now become a little mm. bit of a, a tick box exercise. And it's just more for us all to be aware of like, oh, this is interesting how this new thing's bubbled up and how everybody wants to be one, every team. Um, and Teams can try their best, but if it, they feel like it's a landing place, then are they going to then move forward? And also, um, with some teams, by getting to say they're at high performing, what they've done is they've moved um, other problems or sub-optimized elsewhere in the organization. So this is, again, taking that systemic lens of looking wider. Have they moved by making one or two high-performing teams move the dysfunction elsewhere in the organization or in other teams. So it's, as a coach, just being aware of like what's in play here and what's happening and that maybe sometimes the team success is not just the team, but it's the greater team of the stakeholders and maybe the organization. So having a look at that as well. Um, any, any thoughts on that? Anybody wants to share? Um, in your organizations, are you trying to get teams to be high-performing? Is that an end goal for some of you? I don't I think anything is ever an end goal. Uh, yeah. Performance is never an end goal. Ag you know, agility is never an end yeah. goal of the journey. Um, but yeah. I think what's important here is whether we are optimizing at the expense of sub-optimizing another part. Yeah. Um, or not. Uh, I yeah. think that's what's critical. Yep. Yeah. And it's having those, you know, curiosity glasses on as to what's actually happening. Yep. And someone else wanted to share? Yeah, I was just uh, just trying to say same thing, that improvement never have an end goal, right? We can always improve. Might be initially we improve quite fast and later on might be just two seconds every day. So I believe there will be different stages, but mm -hmm. there is no end goal for improvement. And it's a buzzword today that every organization wants high-performing team. Yeah. But are we changing ourselves to that? Are we standing with the team first? Does we empathize with them? Does we build rapport or rapport with them? So mm -hmm. I believe there are a lot of shifts need to happen, right, for that. 
it's not just magic switch it's a yeah. path which takes yeah. long time so, yeah, they they want high performing team, but the management or the leadership always don't understand psychological safety as well. Yeah. So how do you now bridge that gap between the quests and the working process process part of it? Because just like she said, it's never the end goal. Yes. Yeah, Everything in life is it's a work in progress. So how do you yeah. bridge that gap to be able to understand yeah. the fact that okay. It, it, for me, it's a little bit like um, not to stop using high-performance teams, but to not make it a landing place. So, like, you should continuously improve until you die. I mean, that's what, that's what I, I say. But for a team to be high-performing, what does that actually mean? You know, at what level are we measuring them against? What does that mean in the organisation? So you want teams, of course, to be uh, improving and growing and everything else but just be aware of how the high performing team label is being used in some organizations and especially maybe from leadership so it's more just the curiosity of like how to use it in the organization and and just on a practical note of that that basically when we talk about high performing right so don't try to manage people basically management what they try to do is they try to manage people instead of system so what, how I see with team is I try to create VSM, value stream mapping for the system. That where are the pain points? Where are decision latency? Where are process latency? And show and make it visible to everyone. Guys, let's address these. So that is how I try on practical side. Because yeah. in my view, we can manage system, never the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, value stream mapping is a great process. Um, I love it because it looks at, you know, where the waste is and the blockages and everything. Um, Interesting one, if I'm going to do a healthy challenge, is the people aspect. So you have the process, where are we in the process, where can we, you know, and then you look at the people side, how are we as people going to be. So it's interesting to look at both for me. But on that note, because we're getting time, I wanted to, I'm going to, Cherie's going to go through a couple of things as well. But um, you know who I am now, so you can always reach me on LinkedIn. Please you have a go at the tools. Uh, keep on your curiosity glasses. And I hope you enjoyed uh, today's session. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yep. And just a note on um, the high-performing teams. I always try to just say higher performing. <laughs> and that way it's not like the goal is high-performing because I do hear – people saying, oh, yeah, I work with a high-performing team, but I wonder, have we actually, what's the criteria? What's the measuring? How do you know they're high-performing other than it makes us feel good because we've been working together a long time and we're doing some stuff, so we say we're high-performing, like you said, because it's the goal, right? If my team's not high-performing, now it becomes a performance management thing and not actually a... um, can we do the best we can do thing? So even a great presentation, Suzanne. Thank you. A lot of new information. And um, I really, um, this was the first time I've seen the Tobert's action um, logic. So I thought that was really cool. I'm going to do some more investigating on that. Um, For those of you who are new, thanks for joining. Um, We will be posting the... um, 
the video in a couple of weeks on my website. We post one video a week, so um, it'll be, they're usually a couple of weeks behind what we do here. And then um, if you're interested in um, the ACSM or CSP Scrum Master classes with, um, with live mentoring, they're self-paced online on our website, which is tandemcoaching.academy. You can use this coupon code as a member of the meetup for 25% off. Um, it says April, but I will go make sure that I update the date um, that it actually still works in May. It should, but I'll make sure that I fix the, um, the date so that way we have it since we switched to May and I didn't realize that I had originally expired at the end of April. So um, thanks for joining. Welcome to have you. In two weeks, we will be coming back to do another meetup. And Christine Thompson, I believe that is you with NLP. You want to wave to everybody? There she is. Yep. So Christine will be introducing another fascinating topic, um, um, neurolinguistic programming in coaching and so she'll be showing us some things from her adventures there and um, another whole entire field of study in the coaching world so looking forward to have you join again and have a great weekend oh sheree just a quick one um i think someone wanted the slides so um i don't know if they go um i can site later or yeah they'll actually be on the website but if you don't mind okay. um yeah if you don't mind sharing the slides i'll go ahead and drop them in the um in the box here is that okay with you oh yeah that's fine yeah yeah okay yeah. cool i'll do Please that before y'all get off like give me one second and here let me go ahead and stop <laughs>